Well, good morning, church. Who would believe it's September already in this very difficult year? Um, we, we are starting a series on Noah, but before I, I jump into the series on Noah, I need to just mention the heartache again of the news. Mark van Weyck, uh, his brother has passed away this week, and our hearts go out to, to everyone who's lost a loved one. What a tough time to try and be close to each other. It's um, Psychologists tell us that there's a need for closeness, there's a need for us to be in each other's space because it releases a serotonin that helps us to be stronger through the challenges we face. You know, as we look at the life of Noah, one of the lessons we will see is that God does not prevent His people from going through pain and heartache. But the fact that He doesn't prevent us, or the, or the fact that we feel that pain and hurt, does not mean desertion from God, that He is with us all the time. Won't you join me in prayer as we pray for this um, sermon on Noah? And also for those families who are just enduring so much pain this week. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the comfort of your word. We thank you for the comfort of your Holy Spirit that joins us. Father, we pray for those families this week who are grieving loved ones. So many in our church, so many close to us, and yet we're not able to be close to them. We know that you are close, Father, and we ask that by your Spirit you will come and mend the wounds that are in their heart. Come and bring the comfort that we cannot bring. Come and be with them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we look at the life of Noah, uh, we're going to take the next four weeks to look at, at who this man was. Every biography in the Old Testament carries the story of different people's lives. And as we go through it, there's a lesson that we can learn from it. If I had looked at Noah... We can tackle it from so many different angles, and I can go into the whole details and the scientific model of the flood. Um, we, we, Ken Ham does a great job on that. If I read his book this week, it really is worthwhile reading through it. Ken Ham says that if we had to look at the flood of Noah, then maybe this is a model that we could have had. Imagine that all the valleys in the ocean was brought level, and all the mountains were brought level, and the earth was level. Then the oceans cover the whole earth. The earth would be covered by 2.7 kilometers of water. And so he says that, that maybe what had happened after or during the flood time was after the flood waters covered the earth, that for the waters to recede as quickly as it did, there was tectonic plate movement and volcanoes to form the mountains. And so we had the valleys in the ocean that sucked all the water into it. And so all the things, the mountains were formed through earthquakes and volcanoes. And suddenly the mountains that maybe weren't there before the flood, were there after the flood. And, um, and so there was enough water in the earth like that but to, to cause the flood. Others believe in, in the idea of, of a, a canopy of water around the earth. That when God said he, in, in Genesis, early in, in Genesis, that he, he separated the waters above from the waters below, that there was water under the crust of the earth and waters above the canopy of the earth. And so the sun's radiation... When it shone, it wasn't so, so, so bad in the earth. The earth was like a greenhouse effect. And everything was growing well. And then when the, for the flood, the canopy collapsed into the earth and flooded the whole earth. And at that same time, there would automatically be ice caps at the poles um, and, and heat. So you'd suddenly get deserts and, and, and polar regions and all of that taking place in an instant. Um, 
But all of that possible, that the Canterbury would collapse only with volcanic action at the poles. We have found volcanic ash at the poles. So maybe there's a scientific model for it, but that's not what we want to look at. If I look at life on Noah, I want to look at it from this perspective. What if your life was part of a bigger plan? What if your life was part of a bigger plan? So we're meant to read from Genesis chapter 6 and 7 today. I'm going to ask you to, to go and read this um, in your own time at home. So I'm going to start with Genesis chapter 6 and you read the balance afterward. Genesis chapter 6, won't you turn there quickly. When human beings began to increase in the number, in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days will be 120 years. Listen to this. God gets to the point where he says, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal, their days will be 120 years old. But some, some scholars say that that 120 was, from this moment on, the 120-day countdown, 120-year countdown for the ark starts. Others say that from here on, men will no longer live longer than 120 years old. Now again, that canopy theory seems to support that. While there was a canopy of water, there was less radiation in the earth, people could live longer. But after the canopy collapses, people could not live as long anymore. Verse 4, Tenephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, they were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Listen to this, that, that the human race had, become, had, had grown so evil that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe them from the face of the earth, this human race that I've created, and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all the people of the earth, um, sorry, to all the people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it. Coat it with pitch. And then God gives him the instruction to build this ark that's 160 meters long and 40 meters wide and 16 meters high. Can you picture that? A soccer field's possibly maybe 100 meters um, long. This is almost two soccer fields. God gives him the instruction for that. And Noah goes and does it. In fact, verse 21 says, 22 says, Noah did everything just that God had commanded him. And so I want to pick up some stuff out of Noah. This concept that maybe your life is part of something bigger. Do you know that Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather? Enoch is the man, the Bible says, Enoch walked with God and, and was no more. That he was a, a righteous man in chapter 5, you'll see that. And then Enoch gives birth to his son Methuselah, but Enoch is preaching that, listen, you cannot keep living like this, God is going to judge one day. It's not okay to live any way you want to. God is going to judge the world. And so... 
He gives his son's name, Methuselah, but God says name in Methuselah. Methuselah means when he dies, it will happen. This is Noah's grandfather. When he dies, it will happen. Do you know that Methuselah died seven days before the flood? His name meant when he dies, it will happen. God had given, and Methuselah was the oldest man in the Bible. He lived till 969 years old. God had warned the people through Enoch. Then he gave them a living warning and symbol through Methuselah's life. who said when he dies, that will be a, a sign that the times will change. When he comes to Noah, Noah's 500 years old when God says to him, Listen, build this ark. Go and do this thing. He has his children. He builds the ark. Um, for 120 years, Noah preaches. Do you know that he must be the worst preacher in the world? I mean, the Bible's ever seen. I mean, have you thought about this? For 120 years, he preaches. Listen, change, change, change. There's a flood coming. Going to get into the ark. And when he's done, only his family gets into the ark. Only his wife and his three children and their wives. Imagine that. But here's something interesting that comes out of it. Sometimes winning your family is enough. Sometimes ministering to your family and winning them is enough. If you are not a Christian at home, first, I doubt that you're a Christian anywhere else. If your family don't see Christ in you, then what's the use you're doing it anywhere else you're pretending? You've got to win your family over first. So, so I want to jump out of Genesis quickly. We understand that Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. The book of Genesis starts everything and it flourishes from there. So I want to jump to what the writer of Hebrews says about Noah. Now we know that Noah, from, from Methuselah, was his grandfather. When his father Lamech in chapter 5 sees Noah, he says, I'm going to name him Comfort. Because this one's going to comfort us from the curse that's on the land. His name means rest. His name means oh, a sigh. Uh, uh, taking a breather from the heaviness that's on you. So Noah, in, the writer, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, in Hebrews 11, 7, By faith, Noah built the ark, even though the things that were told to him have never been seen on the earth before. Rain had never been seen on the earth, so Noah goes and preaches this. But Noah built, he built, he built, he built. The faith that Noah had was a faith of obedience. It's an obedience to do the same thing every day, day in and day out. Here's the thing. Some, some people say that this is what success is. Success is a long obedience in the same direction. Will you do the same thing? The right thing, the right thing, the right thing, the right thing, the right thing. Remember, you grew up in a society that was so evil. You grew up in a society that was so evil that God said, I'm, I'm sorry that I made man. But Noah was found to be righteous. But Noah, the Bible says, remember, God chose him. Noah didn't choose himself. But he, God didn't only choose him at that moment. God had already chosen his grandfather, then his great-grandfather, or his great-grandfather, his grandfather, then his father named him, and then him. To, to be able to bring about a change in the world. A long obedience in the same direction. That's what brings success. Success is not one moment in time. It's a long obedience in the same direction. Will you keep doing what he was doing? He built. You want to have a successful business? Build. It's build, 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 build. You want to have a successful family? Build, 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 build. It doesn't just happen. You build, and then you build, and then you build, and you build. It's like you built the ark. He went out there. Guess what? Chop a tree down, shave it off, get the roughness away, put it in. What do you do tomorrow? Chop a tree down, get the roughness away, make it smooth, put it in. 
Next day, chop a tree down, get the roughness away, make it smooth, put it in. Every single day for 120 years. Every day. You want success in your life? You build, you build, you build, you build, you build. When Noah got out of the ark, what do you do? You build an altar. You build, you build, you build. You gotta go and build it. It doesn't just happen. God gave him the dream. God gave him the plan. God gave him the vision. God gave him everything. But he had to go and build it. So if God's given you a vision for something, it's your job to go and build it. Build, 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 build. And then you'll get success. The second scripture from the New Testament is Peter looks at at Noah's life and he says in Peter 2 verse 5 he says Noah was righteous in his generation that's an interesting thing when you've got an unrighteous and wicked people and here's this man here's what, what he's effectively saying he's saying Noah did not set his standard of living based on the standard of the people he was living with he didn't look around him and say oh their standards here so I'll set my standard just slightly higher than this no he said God's standards there so I will try and reach God's standard you see here's the thing whenever you try and live to God's standard you're going to be set apart but when you try and set your standards on the society in which you find yourself you're going to slip that's a slippery slope because they keep setting the standards lower there's an account that I remember in the civil war where the flag bearer was called the standard bearer so he had this belt around his, 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 his waist where he'd stick the flag into it and he would carry the colors of the, his army into the battle line. So what would happen was, the, the, the rule was, the standard bearer or the flag bearer would carry the colors forward and then the army must fight up to wherever the standard is. And at one time he ran so far forward that the, the soldiers were complaining and said, Can you not lower the, bring the standard backward? And he said, It is... You must fight to where the standard is. What he was saying is, I cannot lower the standard. You've got to fight to where the standard is. The standard is here. Sometimes the standard for our Christian life is there. And we've got to live to the standards. We can't keep lowering or bringing back the flag and stepping back and saying, let's lower the standard to satisfy where the world is at. The world's never going to be satisfied with the standards that, that, that God has set for us to live. And so, that's the second account of Noah. A life that God has put into His plan and woven into His tapestry. One that we don't all understand, always understand. Then Jesus says, as it was in the time, in, in, in Luke chapter 17, He says, as it was in the time of Noah, so it will be in the times of the Son of Man. There's something about, about living and, and missing God and living outside of God and living separate from God and living a life that says I'm going to live independent of what God says or, or irrespective of what He says and that's a tough one so right now in our own society we're living in those kind of times there's a couple of things that I want to sh share you W.H. Auden, the poet um, he lived at a time during first world, the First World War or Second World War and, and what he says is he believed that men were able to fix their own problems. He believed that men were able to, to pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And so he, he goes and he, he says, Whatever ails humanity can be fixed by man. And, and he was wrong. I mean, today the sacred project that is run by Christian Smith, uh, an American sociology, sociologist, he says this. He says, that 
that the sacred project is realizing the emancipation, equality and moral affirmation of all human beings as autonomous, self-directing individual agents who should be out to live their lives as they personally so desire by constructing their own favorite identities, entering and exiting relationships as they choose and equally enjoying the gratification of experimental material and bodily pleasures. They're saying, listen, live however you want to, God's not part of it, you can fix your own problems. Um, W.H. Auden lived the same way. Except that in 1939, he walks into a cinema in, uh, in Yorktown or Yorkville in America, where he just immigrated to. He went to watch a movie called, um, I think it's called Sieg in Poland. It's a German movie and a German account of Hitler's invasion of Poland. And he's sitting in the, th in the theater with a prim primarily German crowd. Now, bear in mind that these Germans hadn't known about the Nazi war camps yet. They just thought it was a war going on. But as the, the soldiers entered and saw any kind of Polish people, they screamed, kill them, kill them, whether they were women, children, uh, or whatever it is, young, old. They said, kill them. And, and he sat there. He was astounded by this thing. He couldn't believe that people could be that evil. He always believed that, that people were good, but society made them bad. And in this moment, he walked out of that cinema and he said, that's impossible. How is it even possible? He didn't believe that humanity needed God. But in that moment, he turned to a place where he said, I didn't realize that man needs God. He writes a poem of that called The Age of Anxiety, and he says that there's an aesthetic existence. There's an existence where we live for the moment. There's an existence where we live for pure pleasure. And that we shift from that to... Uh, an ethical existence where we become, we, we have a season of moral indignation. So we, we are angry at anybody who seems to judge us for whatever we do. This is exactly what Christian Smith is saying. He's saying, listen, we should be autonomous as individuals, able to make our own choices. And anybody who judges us, we're angry at them. And then he moved to a religious existence where he, says, where he realized and says, there's a failure um, of human righteousness, that humanity is not able to solve them, their own problems. They're not able to pull themselves up with their bootstraps, like they said. They're not able to solve them, their own problems. And so what that leads to is either despair or God. And it led him to God. And so we go from this, these seasons of living in the moment for pure pleasure to, to being angry at anybody who judges us for what we do, to finally coming to a place where we realize, oh my word, Nothing I'm doing is actually solving the problems from our own life or society. And so we turn to despair to God. We come, Noah's life introduces us to the Noahic covenant. You know, we see the rainbow, it's beautiful. We have the Abrahamic covenant, it's God's covenant with Abraham. The Davidic covenant is God's covenant with David. And affecting everyone else, the Noahic covenant is God's covenant with Noah. And it starts with this. I will rescue whoever comes to me. This is it. Whoever came into the ark was saved. I will save everyone who comes to me. This is in Jesus. The ark was a type of Jesus. Everyone who comes to Jesus is saved. Everyone who comes to him. It's open to everyone. Everyone's, but there will come a moment where judgment will take place. There will come a moment where the world will be judged. You see, everyone then was living as though there was no judgment. Enoch said judgment is coming. Methuselah said judgment is coming. Lamech said judgment is coming. Noah said judgment is coming. And nobody changed their lifestyle. And when judgment finally came, no one was prepared for it. And so Jesus 
The same way offers us an ark. We come into the ark, we are saved. We come into the ark, we are saved. So what an incredible, incredible thought this is that God gives us. An incredible promise that anyone who comes to him, he will not turn away. Do you know that John 3 verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to judge the world, but that through him the world might get saved. You see, in God's world, mercy always triumphs over judgment. But judgment is inevitable. Martin Luther King Jr. says that the arc of the universe bends toward justice. Justice will come. We're living in a society today where justice shouts so loudly, or the need for justice shouts so loudly, that the voice of truth is drowned out. And so, so that when we look at the South African context, we're seeing a, a, a level of corruption that's unprecedented. In Zimbabwe right now, um, the president um, has, has put reporters into jail. And we thought that when Robert Mugabe was asked that Mangagwa would become the, the solution to his country. But he's made it worse. But in South Africa, the ANC recently had the NEC meeting about, about corruption. And when they come out, instead of speaking about the corruption that's taken place and how they've harmed our society, Ace Khashoggi stands up in front of the television and he says, Inequality still exists. You see, because justice says that the scales historically are unbalanced. And so there are things like colonialism and apartheid that have unbalanced the scales. And, and the narrative now is, until the scales are balanced, we shouldn't be looking at the other stuff. But that's a false narrative. You cannot suppress the truth of today because something had gone wrong in the past. Two wrongs don't make a right. And so we are in agreement with Archbishop Tabu uh, Machoba, on the 3rd of August, he stood out and he said to the ANC, he said, listen, either pay up or go to jail. Pay up or go to jail. The church needs to add their voice to what's taking place in society. We are part of the watchdog of society. Something has gone wrong. But how do we fix all of this stuff? We're living, when, when we look at at Noah's life, the three things that I want to leave as an introduction today is this. That number one, build something. You are part of something bigger. Your life matters. You're, you are knit into the fabric of humanity. God's got something incredible in store for you. And so, live with an obedience. Do the right thing, the right thing, the right thing. Just keep doing the same thing over and over and over and you'll find the success. That's a faith, a different kind of faith. Secondly, is live according to the standards that God has set for you. Don't let the world determine your standards. And the third, third one is realize that judgment will come. That God will not let injustice prevail. At some point He speaks into it. Heaven hears our cries and Heaven will speak into it. This world is saying to you, listen, just be yourself, be true to yourself, follow your heart, find yourself, do what you want to, make it about your dreams. I'm saying to you that Noah's story says it is not about you just being you. 
It's not you being true to yourself. It's not you feeding your hungers. It's not you feeding your appetites. It's about you surrendering your life to the purposes of God and living according to that. I want to end, I want to end this, this um, sermon with the following thoughts that have been on my mind. Um, Corrie ten Boom spoke to, to Charles Vendal and, and he tells it so beautifully. She has this deep Eastern um, Europe accent and she says, Mr. Svindal, hold everything in this life loosely. Hold your ministry and your calling loosely. Hold your marriage relationship loosely. Hold your wife loosely. Hold your children loosely. Hold your possessions loosely. Because you never know when the Lord will require them. What a strong... What a strong comment for us. Hold loosely onto things in this world because we were not made only for this world. And then finally, Jackie Velasquez sings a song that always just captures my heart. Um, she says, There are days when I feel the best of me is ready to give in. Then there are days when I feel like letting go and soaring on the wind. But I've learned in trouble and in pain how to survive. I get on my knees. My challenge to you, as we reflect on Noah's life, is to become people who will take everything to God in prayer and not hold on too tightly to the things in this world. Justice will come. God will judge the world again. Because if you, if we can, you see the, if we can refute the ideas of the judgment in Noah's time, we can refute the ideas of judgment in the final times and in the end times. But God judged then. God judged then and He will judge again. And this is the Noahic covenant that God is the ultimate judge and He judges justly. He, he judged the world before, He will judge again. No one's going to get away with it. If you are living a life that you need to reconsider, if you're living a life that you need to rethink how you're living, God's going to judge you. The ark is open. The ark is, the modern day ark is Jesus Christ. It's open. The Bible ends with the words. It says, the spirit and the bride say, come, 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 come. The call of God has not changed. The call of God to you and to me is come. Leave the things of this world. Come. Leave what you are struggling with. Come. Drop those things. Come. Come into the ark. And the promise to you and to me and to every soul that comes into the ark of Jesus Christ is that we will never ever be the same again. The last thought is this. Uh, T.D. Jake says, that the, the ark is like a womb. And so when a seed comes into the womb, it comes out as a baby, it's transformed. When a worm goes into a cocoon for that while, unpleasant, it comes out differently. This season of lockdown that we've had might just be like an ark, one of discomfort for the church, but coming in in one form and coming out in another. That God is about to transform things with the season of the ark that we've had. God will transform your life through the discomfort, the heartache, 
pain and everything that's gone on. Maybe that's your arc moment for God to change things going forward. God bless you and God keep you. Have a wonderful Sunday. Bye-bye.